Well, it's wonderful to be together. We'll pray before we begin tonight. Let's just pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the excitement that I feel within myself about tonight. And Father, I know that you're going to bless us by your Spirit. We do thank you that you gave us the Holy Spirit who came alongside us to comfort us, to encourage us, to show us the wonderful things about Jesus. And he is the one who reveals all truth to us. Father, we do thank you. You have not left us comfortless, but we have another comforter who's right here. And Father, we do thank you that over the last 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit has been increasing truth about Jesus and been revealing it and restating it. And we just thank you tonight. We can come and we can talk about the glorious things that are ahead of us. Praise your wonderful name because of the power and the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Father, tonight I would ask that the words that I speak shouldn't just be words of wisdom, but Father, they should carry with them the authority of the very Spirit of the living God. Father, come and as I speak, anoint the words and anoint the hearers that indeed together, Father, we might grow and begin to move in the way that you desire us to. I do ask it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Now we come to the first of two studies called Moving in the Gifts of the Spirit. And this is not just an exposition about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but rather, although we'll cover that, it's an attempt to show you how to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, I'm assuming that we already have people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And could I say immediately, if you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit and you would like to be, please remain behind afterwards. We've got many, many people who will actually pray for you to receive this empowering from above. But I'm assuming tonight that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to talk about what do we do with him now we are really empowered by him. And so we'll be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know full well that many of you will say, oh, well, now we'll be straight into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, leading on to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I hate to tell you, but you're wrong. In fact, I want to begin these two studies in the book of Ephesians and chapter 4. The book of Ephesians and chapter 4, and I should tell you this, that at the school I went to, we had this read to us by the head boy twice every term. Now, for seven years, I heard this six times a year, and do you know, this was a passage of Scripture we knew off by heart. Never thought about what it was saying, but we knew it off by heart. And one of the dreadful drawbacks of being the head boy was you had to read this passage. We couldn't make head and a tail of it. We didn't know what it was talking about. And if you told me, by the way, that these years on, I would actually be ministering on this passage, I'd never have believed it possible. But this is the only passage of Scripture I could quote absolutely off by heart. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Brackets, now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now that was how much we read, and our school motto was, in virum perfectum, unto a perfect man. I went to a boys' school, I should hasten to say. And so this was the passage that we actually read. Now the verse that I want to take tonight and begin with is verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, talking about Jesus and his ascension, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And those of you who have heard this ministered on many times will know that people then go on, they miss out the next two verses, which are in brackets anyway, and which are there incidentally to prove that Christ is the only one that was being talked about here. And then they go straight on to verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And normally the point that is made from this passage is that captivity was led captive, and God gave gifts unto men, Christ gave gifts unto men, and these gifts were the four or five-fold ministries, depending upon your theological point of view, that are mentioned in verse 11. Now what I want to say tonight is this, that to the people who were reading this at the time that it was written, they wouldn't necessarily have come to the conclusion that the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor and teacher were actually the gifts that Christ gave and which are referred to in verse 8. For in verse 8, you have certain phrases that are used which they in the ancient world understood very well. I mean, we read it today. What does captivity captive really mean? I mean, what is it that Paul is trying to say? When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now, the historical background you've got to know about this is rather interesting. In these days, the Roman Empire was thriving, and generals were being sent out from Rome itself and from Italy out to the furthest reaches of the empire, and there they would start battles or have battles with the locals. And their attempt was to take over the area of countryside and uh, add it to the Roman Empire. And this taking captivity captive is the phrase that was used for taking prisoners of war. Now you imagine, let me paint the scene for you, just in case you don't understand the background fully here. Um, in these days you didn't have things like daily newspapers, you didn't have videotapes, you didn't have audio tapes either, you didn't have photographs, and if one of your illustrious generals had gone and fought a battle, say against the Gauls or against the Britons or some terrible tribe, you know, to the north of Rome, in fact, when he won the battle, the news used to take a long time to actually percolate back to Rome. A messenger used to be sent immediately saying, Claudius has won the battle. 
and everyone used to rejoice. But you see, it was ages before they actually found out any more details. Now, in order to keep the people at home informed, the general used to do something that was very interesting. He used to collect up prisoners of war, and he didn't kill them, and normally it was the biggest and the strongest of the people that he fought against. And these were the captives, and he used to take them captive home to Rome with him. And this was called taking captivity captive. Now, you can imagine, you see, they heard that they'd beaten the Gauls, but they didn't know what a Gaul looked like. And here was their opportunity. Or they heard that uh, this great general had fought against the British, and they didn't know what the ancient Britons were like. And so, a few months later, the general would arrive with all of his troops, and he used to process through the city, and everyone was out on the streets cheering and saying how wonderful Claudius is, or whatever his name was. And all the troops used to come along behind him and they used to say, oh, how wonderful. And then came some of the people that they'd been fighting against. And the people used to look at them and say, oh, how brave our soldiers are. Look how awful those gods look. Don't they look terrible, you know? Or the Britons, you know the Britons used to cover themselves in blue. Do you know that, don't you, in woad? And the Britons used to walk through the streets. They always looked very unhappy. It's hard to be happy when you're blue. And, <laughs> and they used to process through the streets. And this was called taking captivity captive. The people that you'd won, you used to take home with you. You see? Now, what's the reference here? Well, when Jesus ascended, the people that he'd won from the Old Testament, all the people who believed in the one who was to come, the Messiah, he gathered them up. He emptied paradise and took paradise up into heaven with him. Do you remember that? And so at the ascension, all those who were dead, who'd believed in Jesus, were gathered together and he took them up home. And there, instead of people saying, oh, how awful, all the angels used to start clapping, saying, oh, how wonderful they look, right? Abraham and David, they were all there and gathered together up into heaven. A few of them stopped off in the city on the way up. Do you remember that? Some of them rose from the dead and appeared in the city of Jerusalem, but they didn't last long, and then they continued their journey up into heaven. Now, that's the first bit. So, everyone reading this would say, oh, we know what taking captivity captive means, but what's the next bit? He took captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now, what's that about? Well, this is something else. Now, this all was made sure you got a large crowd. What they used to do, they used to collect trinkets and money and things like this, you know, from the Bank of England, whatever it was, the Bank of Celsius, it was then. And they used to gather it together. And as they processed through the streets of Rome, they used to shower the people with these gifts. It's a good way of getting a crowd, isn't it? Right? If I did that at a Bible study, I'd say everyone in Chichester would come along. And they used to shower them with gifts. And the people used to come along with their aprons and used to collect the ducats or whatever it was, the groats that used to be chucked down on them. So this was typical of what went on in the ancient world, and the Ephesian church knew what Paul was talking about. That when Jesus went up into heaven, first of all he took captivity captive, but when he was there, he then showered gifts upon men. Now I don't think necessarily that we can say that this verse was fulfilled entirely in verse 11, that speaks of the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and so on. I believe that the gifts that were showered by Jesus are much bigger than that. In fact, I think we can sum up the gift that he gave us in the name of the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the gift. 
And Jesus himself said this. He said, unless I be taken up, he, the comforter, cannot come. But when I'm taken up, then I'll send him to you. And when Jesus was ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit down, and the Holy Spirit is the gift of God for every one of us. Do you know, by the way, everything about your salvation has been effected by the Holy Spirit. All the knowledge of your salvation is given by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out and poured out, and today we're still receiving. There's refreshing power from above, even today, as far as we're concerned. Now, I think verse 8 is fulfilled very largely just by the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent down upon us. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes, he manifests himself. And what we're going to talk about in these two series is the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit showers us with many other blessings, but there are nine particular gifts that are named in Scripture, and these are the gifts that I want specifically to talk about in these two sessions. So now you're quite right. Let's go now to 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, and I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 down to about verse 10 or verse 11. Now, beginning verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And God's desire for us is that we will not be ignorant concerning the spiritual gifts. Verse 2. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and that no man can say, Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. And we dealt with this verse, didn't we, in the Trinity series. And do you remember I showed how the word Lord talked about the divinity of Christ. And here no man can really believe and state that Jesus is God, saved by the Holy Spirit. And the point I made in that series, and the point I make again tonight, is that the thing that separates true Christianity from all the sects is that we believe in the divinity of Christ. And no man can believe in it. It's so mysterious. Do you remember those three evenings I spent trying to sort out the particular views And the more I talked, the more we realized we didn't understand about it. Do you remember those evenings? Well, that's what this verse is actually talking about. Even though we can't quite understand it, we all believe it. How? By the Holy Spirit. No man can believe it except by the Holy Spirit. So it goes on, and having talked about that, it then lists, if you remember, the three members of the Godhead. In verse 4, you've got the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, the Lord. And in verse 6, God the Father. And do you remember in the Fellowship Life series, I talked about these three verses and made certain points. Verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And it is true that certain people are gifted in a particular way. We all know that, don't we? That certain people are able to function in one or other of the gifts in a rather special way. But even though they're different, the manifestations of the Spirit, it's one and the same Spirit. Incidentally, keep your finger in the place. Go to the end of 1 Corinthians 12. This is what he says in verse 29 and 30. He says here, are all apostles? Well, no. And the Greek actually answers the question. The answer to all these questions is no. Are all apostles? No, they're not. Praise the Lord for that. Are all prophets? No, they're not. 
Are all teachers? No, they're not. Are all workers of miracles? No, they're not. Have all the gifts of healing? No, they don't. Do all speak with tongues? No, talking about the gift there. Do all interpret? No, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now remember, as we'll see later on, Paul actually says, I want you all to speak with tongues. Here, he's not talking about whether you can speak with tongues. What he's saying is, do all have the particular ministry of tongues? That's why the present tense is used here. Do all speak with tongues is the present tense. And it means, do all keep on speaking with tongues? No. I'll show you what I mean. You may actually go and visit someone who is sick. And God will say, now lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now you, at that particular moment of time, can claim a particular gift of the Spirit, and you can say, in the name of Jesus Christ, be raised up. That doesn't mean to say you have the position of a healer. A person who is a healer constantly uses the gift of healing. Do you see what I mean? Are all healers? No, they're not. But we can all heal, should we find ourselves in the circumstances. Do you see? Now this is not talking about the uh, receiving of the particular gift, what this is talking about is the ministry of that gift. We know, don't we, in our own fellowship meetings, there are certain people who have the gift of prophecy regularly. Right? They move out and move out and move out and move out. Do all have the regular, constant use of the gift of prophecy? No, they don't. But nevertheless, Paul says, I want you all to prophesy. And we can all prophesy from time to time. You see? I am a permanent teacher. Right? Sometimes too much. But... I am a permanent teacher. Nevertheless, I know people who are not, do not have the office of teacher who can stand up and give a teaching. Do you see what I mean? This, at the end of this passage, is talking about the office, the regular ministry of these particular gifts, not the use every now and again of the particular gifts. And what it's saying in verse 4 is this, that when there are diversities of gifts, don't get jealous. Remember, it's the same spirit that's moving. So someone has a wonderful gift of constant miracles. Well, don't get anxious about it and say, oh, if only I could have that. Look, it's the same spirit that is the one that allows you to speak with tongues. Do you see? So remember, there's a unity in all of this. Then it goes on to Jesus, verse 5. There are differences of administrations. Do remember, this is the practical ministries, right? These are the ministries done by people with their heads screwed on right. And the thing they have to remember, and I would say to every practical person in our fellowship, look, you're naturally practical. Do remember there's one Lord. And Jesus is the one who's got to empower you for that particular service. And with this particular group of people, it's too easy for them to just get on and do it. They don't need the Holy Spirit around, you know, to do it. They'll just get on and do it. Well, remember, the people who built the temple and the people who built the tabernacle were all empowered by the Holy Spirit. So they've got to be today. There's one Lord, and practical people have got to remember that Jesus Christ is the head, and he's the one who's got to give the instruction. The next one is this. There are diversities of operations, and the word operations, of course, is the word for miraculous gifts, right? There are wonderful diversity in miracles, healings, and so on and so on. But do remember, please, that it's this. But it is the same God which worketh all in all. So to God be the glory for these particular gifts. And in verse 7, then, we get a verse that we've all got to face up to. But 
the manifestation of the Spirit, it says, is given to every man to profit with all. Hands up here if you're included in the every man. Hands up if you're every man. Right? Well, let's read it again. This is about you then. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So this is the fundamental of this particular part of this chapter, that God wants to move through you by His Spirit. There's no one who's cut out of this. God wants us all to be effectively ministering in the Holy Ghost, every one of us. And the way you minister will probably fall into one of these nine categories. Let's read it through, and then I'll show you how we divide this up for our study. Verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And if you count these up, you've got nine gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned here. Some people say these are natural gifts, you know. Well, when it says that uh, it's the gift of tongues, these are people who find languages easy to manage, you know. And there are some people around, aren't there, who can pick up languages just like that. Most of us have trouble just with English, but there are some people who can just pick them up. I haven't met many Britons who can do that. They're normally on the continent, people who can do this. But... That's how some people interpret this. That, well, a word, some people have a word of wisdom. They're very wise in their counsel. Do you know, I don't believe that's the correct interpretation of this passage. Because, you see, there are many worldly people who don't have the Holy Spirit at all, who are wise, who are good at languages, you know, who are knowledgeable. Someone once said to me, you've got the, the a word of knowledge, you know, the gift of a word of knowledge. And I said, what do you mean? Oh, you know such a lot. That's not what it's talking about at all. I wish it were a gift, you know, it saved me an awful lot of time. But, do you see, I'm sure that's not right. These are gifts which are manifestations of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, for the sake of our two studies, I've divided them into three. And here's the way we're going to deal with them. And actually, the amount of time we spend on each is going to surprise you. I divide them into three main groups. By the way, lots of people do this. This isn't uh, original price. Loads of people divide them up in this particular way. The three main categories are these. First of all, you have three verbal gifts. The verbal gifts are the ones that use your tongue, right? And they are, of course, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, and the gift of prophecy. Now, they are verbal. Is it obvious to everyone here that they're verbal? Without your tongue, you can't do any of these, all right? So they're the verbal gifts. The next three are what we call the inspirational gifts. And here you receive knowledge from God that you don't otherwise have. And so it is a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, and discernment. And the third group then are the power gifts. These are the ones most people love, right? They're a demonstration of God's power. These are the gifts of healing, the gift of miracles, and then the gift of faith. Right? Those, those three. So there are nine gifts in these three categories. Now, how we're going to do it is this. Today, I'm speaking about category number one. 
Next time, I'm speaking about category number two and number three. Now, that might surprise you. Because some people say, now look, the really important gifts are the gifts of healing and the gift of miracles. That's what they say. But in fact, I don't think that's correct. The reason I'm giving half the time to the first category is because I feel it's the first three that are the most important gifts. Now, I better justify that statement. Why do I say that tongues, interpretation, and prophecy are the most important of the gifts? Well, I can give you three reasons why I believe that they are. First of all, the verbal gifts actually have one whole chapter of the Bible devoted to them. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The inspirational gifts don't have a whole chapter, nor do the gifts of power have a whole chapter devoted to them. One whole chapter teaches solely about tongues, prophecy, and interpretation. Now, I think that's the emphasis that's given in the Bible, and I think Paul would say that they're the most vital of the gifts. He actually says that prophecy is the one that you must desire above all others, which is quite amazing, isn't it? You know, desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So that's the first reason. The second reason I believe that the first three are the most important is this. These are the ones that are manifested most in the church. Right? Every meeting you go to, there should be messages in tongues, interpretations, and there should be prophesying. Those three. The other six may be manifested, but generally don't tend to be manifested quite so often. The other six gifts, the inspirational gifts and the power gifts, tend to be used much more in personal ministry. Have you noticed that? I mean, when you go and visit someone who's sick, it's no good saying, well, we must get you along to the church. You start using it outside the church. So you'll find that the first category of gifts, the verbal gifts, are used much more in the meetings than the others. Oh yes, it is wonderful when you have words of knowledge in a meeting. It is wonderful when you minister healing in a meeting. It's wonderful when there's discernment and then the casting out of devils in a meeting. That's wonderful. But it doesn't happen every time. So the first category have a prominence that the others don't have. The third reason why I think this first category of gifts are the most important is this, that these are the gifts that actually open you up to receive the other gifts. You see, the first category of gifts are gifts that we can control. Do you know you have perfect control over tongues, interpretation, and prophesying? Yes, you can. The other gifts, you generally don't have control over them. And next time, I'll actually warn you about those who seem to have control over them. You know, but uh, that's previews of coming attractions. Um, but the first three, definitely, you have some control over them, and you can use these. And I've generally found this. If we will use the first three, we keep ourselves dusted off, as it were. Right? The dust isn't allowed to settle on us, and we constantly are listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and to the church through us. So these first three do have an importance that is absolutely vital. I would say especially tongues. You see, you can use tongues as you're washing up. You can use it as you're driving along in the car, can't you? I mean, it's really wonderful. I use tongues frequently, and sometimes you get so excited, you shout hallelujah at the top of your voice. You know, it's wonderful. Have you ever done that in the middle of London, stuck in a traffic queue with the window wound down? 
Well, I've done that many, many times. I think I was passing through Slough one day, you know, when I was speaking in tongues and the window was down and I was in a traffic jam and suddenly shouted, oh, hallelujah. And the chap put his head in through the window and said, praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> really wonderful. <clears throat> well, you can use it. Do you know you can speak silently to yourself in tongues, can't you? I mean, if you can't, I think there's a problem there. But I can actually speak. I don't even have to move my lips. You see? I mean, this is wonderful. This is a gift that you can use all the time, and so you can keep yourself constantly moving. I believe that we should spend a period of time every day speaking with tongues. I think it's essential that we do it. And if you're not doing it, please, will you ask God to show you the importance of it? Right? So let's have a look at these three gifts. Forget about the others for the moment, and let's talk about them. So I'm going to begin by speaking about the gift of tongues. And immediately I have to say this, and you've got to know this if you're going to be free and not in bondage about tongues. I see tongues having two main roles. First of all, there's the speaking with tongues that happens as a sign that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The second aspect of this is, there is the gift of tongues when God gives a message to the church through you. Now we've got to understand the difference between those two. Let's deal with the first one first, and gradually it will become clear. I believe, and let me state it clearly, that a person who is baptized in the Holy Spirit can speak with tongues. I'm going to say it again, and in case some of you get worried, I'm going to add a little thing to this. I believe that a person who is baptized in the Holy Spirit has the ability to speak with tongues. Though I've known lots of people who don't immediately speak with tongues. So I hope there's no one sitting there saying, well, I'm filled with the Spirit and I don't speak with tongues. I believe it is possible to be filled with the Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and not actually to have experienced tongues. But what I'm saying to you is, you've actually got the ability, whether you do or not. And what we've got to try and do is to come to a place where we can actually receive tongues from the Lord. You can potentially do it. And that's the first thing you've got to admit. Yes, I can potentially do it. Lord, show me how to do it. You see? Isn't it annoying, by the way, for those of you who've spent a bit of time seeking tongues? Isn't it annoying when you hear someone stand up and give a testimony? Right? Like my testimony. Right? Hands were laid on me. Straight away, I was singing in tongues. Instantly, out, oh, out they came. I was speaking in tongues and singing in tongues, making such a racket that all the people came back in the church to see what was going on. You see, now that's part of my testimony. Isn't that annoying for some people? Because there are some people who are chronic seekers. Been seeking for 20 years. And some little chap stands up and says, I've been saved three minutes and I've been baptized for two of them. And that's his testimony. And they say, well, honestly, what's all this? I mean, it's so easy for some people. There was a time in my early Christian life when I used to uh, carry the baptism of the Holy Spirit round as my pet doctrine, right? I don't know what my pet doctrine is at the moment, but, you know, I'm a faddy man, and this was my pet doctrine. And everywhere I went, I used to come up to people and say, are you baptized in the Spirit? It used to be my first question. Isn't that terrible? But that's what I used to do. I liken it like this. I think I've said this on one of the Fellowship Life tapes, that I treated it like a sack of potatoes carried it on my shoulder and every person that came I used to bash them over the head with it <laughs> and that's it and some people of course wanted nothing to do with it others used to accidentally say that they did 
I remember one couple, I was on my way to lectures, and I met this lovely couple. They were engaged to be married, and subsequently became married. And uh, I just met and said, praise the Lord. Oh, hello, Rog, they said. And I said, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, no. Baptized in the No. I said, would you like to be? Yes, they said. Regretted it instantly, but there we are. <laughs> yes, they said. And uh, I said, well, I'll be round at quarter past three or half past three this afternoon. Okay, okay. And they suddenly realized what they'd done. And I went whistling on my way to lectures, geomorphology or whatever it was that morning. And of course, at uh, half past three, whatever time it was, I arrived on their doorstep, knocked on the door. Total silence from within. <laughs> now, a normal person would go away, wouldn't they? I mean, that's the normal thing to do. And that's what they thought that I would do. But I'm not like that, as you know. And <clears throat> I knocked on the door, and there was no answer. I knocked again, no answer. So I tried it, and they'd forgotten to lock the door. <laughs> Real, really true. And I went in. The room was empty, totally empty. I shut the door, and I thought, well, I wonder what's delayed them. And I sat on the bed, just whistling away, waiting for them. And after a quarter of an hour, the cupboard burst open and they both fell out. <laughs> Absolutely true. <laughs> they were so nervous of my coming that they'd hidden in the cupboard. And the funny thing is, I didn't think it was odd. It's very strange. I, I actually had a friend at university who was a psychology student who used to live in his cupboard. He was a non-Christian, but uh, he had a real complex. And he used to knock at his door and used to hear this faint, come in, and he was in the cupboard. <laughs> and then he discovered long hair and he came out of his cupboard. But so I suppose I thought, well, everyone lives in cupboards around here. <laughs> and I set them on the bed and I just laid hands on them and they started to speak with tongues immediately. I mean, just like that. Isn't that amazing, really? And yet there are some people, and it's a real struggle. I've analyzed the problem of tongues, and I've come to the conclusion that there are three main reasons why people don't speak with tongues who are baptized in the Spirit. There are three main reasons. The first one is sheer fear. That's the first reason. I don't mean the spirit of fear here. I mean they're just shy people. And they're rather afraid. And what normally happens is this. They've been along to a meeting, and some chap said, if you're not filled with the Spirit, stand up. So they stand up. Right, bring them out the front. They're all lined out up the front. Now, some of these people are people who find it hard sitting at the back of a meeting, let alone walking to the front of a meeting. You know the feeling. And then what happens? A big, illustrious group of ministers comes along, and they plonk hands on their heads, and they say, right, come on. And they say, Lord, baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Right, start speaking with tongues. Well, these people are so shy, they can't even speak in English in front of a group. And suddenly, they've got to start speaking in Turkish. I mean, what happens? You just completely clam up. You couldn't even say, praise the Lord, in circumstances like that. And then what is normally worse, some of these people then try and increase the anointing. And the sign of that is they start shaking their hands. Now imagine this poor person, they're dragged out the front, they're shy, they're being ordered to speak in Korean or something like that, now they're having their head shaken off, and this is the power of the Holy Ghost moving through them. It's terrible. Honestly, the way we'll try and summon up the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit must say, I'm not entering into it. 
I remember when I was in Budapest, um, a, a pastor, a Pentecostal pastor, had just been to a Pentecostal uh, conference, you know, and uh, he said, Roger, do you think it's right for people to shake people's heads when they're praying for them for the baptism of the Spirit? He said it was terrible. He said we went to some meetings, the Holy Spirit hadn't even come to the meeting. And <laughs> you have to pray for them afterwards for healing, you know, for the neck condition that they've now developed. I mean, it's terrible stuff. Can I say, if you've been affected by that, I sympathize with you very greatly, and I do think the people who minister for the baptism of the Spirit, if they know someone's shy, what they ought to say is, look, speak with tongues now if you want to, but otherwise, receive the Holy Spirit, then go home to your room, and quietly, when you're by yourself, you start speaking with tongues, because you can. Or, in a meeting where everyone is speaking with tongues, you just join in the tongues. Don't you think that makes perfect sense? And I think that's the way to do it. So you must watch out for fearful people, people who are naturally fearful. Okay? Now that's the first reason. There are shy people and they're rather frightened uh, uh, with what's happening. The second reason is this. This is plain ignorance. Oh, there's a lot of ignorance around. I've met Pentecostals who are terribly ignorant. I've met fellowship people who are terribly ignorant about speaking with tongues. Haven't the slightest idea. When I was ministering up in Swanwick, I was staying at someone's house and a couple heard that I was there and they came over. They were chronic seekers. They belonged, they're a lovely Christian couple. They'll certainly be listening to this tape in a few weeks' time, you see, so I must be careful what I say. They're a really lovely Christian couple. They really are. And they came to me and they said, <laughs> they said this, they said, look, we're the problem people of our church. We go to a Pentecostal church. Every minister that comes, we have to have hands laid on us by this minister. Everyone's been praying for us for 10 years or whatever it was to be filled with the Holy Spirit and nothing's happened. And I said, now let's get this clear. You say that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, I don't believe it. I said, I believe you're filled with the Spirit. I said, look, let's do an experiment. And I said, let's just go quiet, shall we? And we just went totally quiet in the room. And you know, we'd been sitting there for about two minutes, and suddenly the Holy Spirit came and just doused us all. And my face lit up, and I laughed, and at exactly the same moment they did. Have you had that experience? And I said, what do you think that is? That's the Holy Spirit, they said. And I said, well, let's do it again. <laughs> and we just remained silent. And you feel the Holy Spirit. I said, come on, you're as baptized in the Holy Spirit as I am. They said, but we can't speak with tongues. And I said, all right, now, why can't you speak with tongues? I don't know, nothing comes. And I said, now, what are you expecting? Now, what do you think speaking with tongues is? Well, they said, we suppose we're just sitting there, and suddenly, tongues comes out. And this is what they're expecting, you know. They're just sitting there like this. and said, <laughs> That's it. So, apparently, in the meeting, you're just, and off you go. And, that's, and I said, what, involuntary? Oh, yes, yes. I said, look, it's totally wrong. I said, if that did happen to you, I'd be very suspect. I think there'd be something wrong. No, I said, you speak with tongues. What, we, we speak with tongues? That's right, I said. Well, why didn't anyone tell us that? They'd been sitting there. And I suppose they'd seen some Pentecost. <laughs> they'd seen this happening, and they thought that's the way it ought to be. I said, look, I said, I can speak with tongues, and I'm in full control of the tongues. I can whisper in tongues. 
I can sing in tongues. I can shout in tongues. I can speak quietly. I mean silently in my head in tongues. I mean, what's, what's the problem? Oh, well, well, well. And I said, you've been filled with the Spirit for 10 years, and you've been seeking the baptism of the Spirit for 10 years. You've been seeking what you've already got. Well, of course, then the tongues started to come. The next chap that came in, he said, oh, hello, Raj. He said, I'm, um, I'm a chronic seeker. <laughs> I thought, heavens, what's this? You know, I said, have you never spoken with tongues? No. I said, has nothing come out of your mouth? No. He says, I make funny noises when I'm in the shower. <laughs> and I said, how long, how long is it that you've been making funny noises in the shower? And he said, oh, six years. And I said, well, pretend we're in the shower. You make, you make the funny noise. And out of his mouth came the most wonderful language. It just poured out of his mouth. I said, look, that's tongues. <laughs> he said, but Roger, I'm speaking. I said, that's tongues. You speak. Another woman, you know, had had trouble seeking tongues, and she'd overcome it. And the person said to her, all right, now you've got this problem with tongues. Repeat after me. <laughs> say the tongues that I say. So this woman had done it, you know. Serena Didonga. Serena Didonga. Sarina de Donga, Sarina de Donga, Sarina de Donga, Sarina de Donga. She'd done this for six years, Sarina de Donga, coming out. And she came forward at a meeting and she said, I want to be more fluent in tongues. I said, do you speak with tongues? I said, do you speak with tongues? She said, yes, I speak with tongues. I said, go on, Sarina de Donga, Sarina de Donga, Sarina de Donga. So I said, well, let me pray for you. I think you need prayer. And <laughs> I sat her down in the chair, and I prayed for her, and I said, now speak with tongues. Serena Didonga. Serena Didonga. Serena Didonga. And I got a vision of a record with just one groove in it. Serena Didonga. I mean, this went on for 10 minutes. Finally, I said, I'm going to knock your block off if you say Serena Didonga once more. I said, forget Serena Didonga. I said, I don't know what it means. It probably, it probably is the Lord saying, I'm tired of this old tongue. On and on. Serena Didonga. On and on and on it went. And I, I said to her, now forget it. And do you know, she stopped saying Serena Didonga. And suddenly she found a language coming out. Now what had happened? She got stuck, you see? And now that's plain ignorance. This is why so many people are still on coriandai coriander. Coriandai coriander. I'm sure that's a wonderful tongue. But listen, you don't have to keep repeating it. God wants more than coriandai coriander. He really does. We, don't, we should have as many different languages as there are different people in a fellowship. In fact, let me tell you this. I believe we should be speaking in more than one language. You can claim these languages from God. They're exciting to claim from God. Don't be in this one groove record, poor Johnny One Note, kept to his one note. Forget it. And if you're in that position, then ask God to develop it. Another form of ignorance is this. Now, this normally happens to people who haven't traveled abroad much, and they can hardly speak English, 
And they sit down, and you say, right, start speaking with tongues, and a few syllables comes out, or whatever it is, and a few syllables come out of their mouth, and they stop. And you say to them, well, why have you stopped? Oh, well, that's me. That's not a language, that's me. Now, isn't that funny to say that? You know, they can hardly speak English, and suddenly they become the world's great professor of linguistics. There are thousands of languages and dialects, and they apparently know them all and can say that the little syllable that comes out of their mouth isn't found in any of these dialects at all. That's just them. And so what they do in their ignorance, they switch off. Oh, well, I, I can't speak with tongues. Have you got anything? Oh, well, I make a few nonsense syllables. Oh, really? I mean, people who've heard other languages, and a lot of other languages, will know that some languages sound like nothing on earth. I mean, have you ever heard Finnish? It's the end, finishes. It's, you're a bit slow tonight. But, I mean, it's really difficult. To say I love you in Finnish, mina karashta, or whatever it is, takes so long, it's positively boring. It's, it's a very strange language. Swedish sounds odd. Have you ever heard click language? Click. Ever heard click? If you get a copy of Ippy Tombi record, you've got click on there. What do you think click sounds like? Now that's click language. That's why it's called click, excuse me. That's click language, you see. Now I might have ordered a cup of tea. You don't know in that. But that's a real language. Do you know, if in our fellowship we had someone who stood up and made noises like that, we'd go and pray for them. <laughs> we'd think they had indigestion or something, wouldn't we? Now, if you received that and came out of your mouth, just that, I mean, you wouldn't think that was a language, would you? But there might be some click person who's thrilled with what you're saying. We mustn't sit in judgment on these languages. Can I give you a twee example? And this can only come from a, a daddy, right, of two young children. And those of you who are more mature than this, you will forgive me. Imagine you are a daddy, and you don't know anything. I know it's hard for some of you here, the female contingent, but never mind. Imagine you're a daddy, and you don't know any French at all, and your little boy comes home from school, your little daughter says, Hello, daddy, we're learning French at school. Oh, are you? Well, say some French to me. Oui, oui. <laughs> now, a daddy would say, oh, come on. I'm not saying that's not French. It is. Is it? Yes. yes. Now, a little boy might say, that's nonsense. That's not a language. Right? That's English. I mean, I know what that means already. <laughs> do you see what? He'd be making a fundamental mistake. Those of us who've learned French, how did we learn it? We started with one word, didn't we? Bonjour, bon, 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 bon. Sounds rather sweet, doesn't it? Bon, bon. Bon, bon. Now, is that a language? Yes, it is. Does it sound like one? No, it doesn't. But what do you do? You don't stop with a bon, 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 bon. What do you do? You carry on. Bonjour, 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 monsieur. Do you see, and gradually the vocabulary is added. Well, tongues is given the same way. The tr trouble with most people is they've got a little bit and they stop with their little bit and then they say, I'm not speaking with tongues. You don't know what that little bit could develop into, do you? 
So it's important not to act ignorantly over this, but to actually say, well, Lord, thank you for this, and I'm moving forth now to increase the vocabulary and pressing in to discover more about it. Now, there are the basic forms of ignorance. I suppose there are other forms of it, but basically people don't know what they're doing in all of this. The third reason why people may not speak with tongues has to do with plain bondage. Now, some people who are in bondage, that is, the devil is affecting them in some way, may actually find that the spirit is not free to manifest in tongues. There you need a prayer of release, a prayer of deliverance, then you'll find the tongues beginning to flow quite well. I love the little story that Corrie Ten Boom used to tell about this. She used to get a torch, you know, and it had a bulb in, and um, she used to say, ah, a bulb and a torch. I can't do a Dutch accent. I should get Olga out to do this. And uh, she used to say, ah, uh, switch it on. No light. Why not? She took the end off. Ah, no batteries. And she used to put the batteries in and put the end on, switch it on, still no light problem. Take the end off. Take the batteries out. Big pair of tweezers. Has anyone seen her do this here? Big pair of tweezers, and she used to put them in. A pound note used to come out, or a gilda, or hilda, or however they pronounce the word gilda. A gilda note. Ah, love of money, she used to say. It is stopping it. Batteries back in. Still nothing. So took off the end, long pair of tweezers again, out came a bit of fabric. Ah, love of fashion. And she, I mean, it ended up like Tommy Cooper's set <laughs> with all these bits and pieces coming out of this uh, tube. And uh, finally, the batteries went in and it used to shine brightly. And you know what she was saying. Look, get your life cleaned out, then the power of the Spirit can move through. And that has to do with bondage. If you need prayer of a particular uh, nature, then you ought to receive a prayer for deliverance. All right, but can you see, a person who is baptized in the Spirit has the ability to speak with tongues, though for a series of reasons they may not be able to do so. But you should aim at speaking with tongues. Why is it that God has used tongues as the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why is it the tongue? Let's uh, just go, shall we, to James and chapter 3. James and chapter 3, verse 8. And let's just see why it is the tongue that God has used. James 3 and verse 8. It says here, verse 8, But the tongue can no man tame. Those of you in the fellowship know that's true. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now this is the wonderful thing. God seeks sanctification in our lives. There's one part of your life you can never tame, so God begins with that part. Isn't that lovely? You can hardly speak English, and suddenly you're speaking imperfect Imperial Turkish. I mean, most of you didn't even know there was such a thing as Imperial Turkish, though some of you have been speaking in it for years. Isn't that wonderful? Or Serbo-Croat, or whatever it is. Isn't that wonderful? God takes over control of your tongue, and he does it, and he says, look, he says... I'm taking over your tongue, and I'm going to take over the rest of your life as well. That's the wonderful thing. And this is why God has chosen the gift of tongues to be the sign that we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, when you are using it as a sign that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can all do it together. Because when you are using it in that way, you are praying to God. You're extolling God. And listen, 
God can hear all our praises at once. We don't have to do it in rota. He can do it all at once. That's why on the day of Pentecost, they all spoke with tongues together. I think we'll check that out, shall we? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Beginning verse 4. By the way, if you want to know why it was tongues of fire, I suggest you listen to the series I've just done uh, down at Paynton on the temple, God's dwelling place. I had quite a revelation about why it's tongues of fire. I throw that out and keep you dangling. Do get hold of those tapes because it's quite a revelation that I've had about these tongues of fire here. But it's the the speaking with tongues that we want. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were all speaking at one time. Isn't that amazing? And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, in Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, in the parts of Libya around Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now we can all do that together, but, and it's an important but, suddenly in a meeting where we're all speaking and singing in tongues together, suddenly you find the gift changes. And suddenly now, instead of it being praise and worship from us to God, the direction changes. Now God wants to speak to the church through tongues. And have you noticed what happens? Suddenly everyone else goes silent and one tongue comes out. Isn't it wonderful? Because you see, although God can take in everything we're saying at once, I can only take him one at a time when God speaks to me. And suddenly silence descends on the meeting and one message in tongues will come forth. Everyone else is silent. And isn't it wonderful? We all know it. Isn't it wonderful? We all know when this has happened. And suddenly the message comes out and we're ready to hear what God has to say to us. Occasionally you find uh, the person who comes along, you know, in this sphere of tongues and says, well, these tongues are demonic. You know, I've heard of a chap who spoke with tongues and it was blasphemy that was coming out of his mouth. Have you ever heard that? Do you know, I've travelled quite a bit myself. I've never, ever, ever discovered that. There have been people whose tongues I haven't liked and I pray for them for deliverance and then they start speaking in the correct tongue. But I've never actually heard any person speak in a translatable uh, tongue, and it was blasphemy. I have had several occasions, however, when the opposite has occurred, where the tongue has been translated and it's been extolling God. Have I ever told you about the time I was attacked by a Sudanese man in university? Have I ever told the fellowship here about this? Well, I went to a university where the walls were paper thin. I mean, they were so thin, you didn't even have to raise your voice to speak to the person in the room next door. You say, got any sugar? Yeah. And it was just like that. And it was a marvellous way of preaching the gospel. You could be in your room and just preach the gospel out, and they could hear it, you know, until they're banging on the wall. And I actually lived next door to a man from Sudan who was an overseas student, and one day I was kneeling by my bed and speaking in tongues by my bed. And when I, it was bedtime, I went down to the bathroom, and he followed me down. And when I got down, 
to the bathroom. He pinned me against the wall, you see, with his arm around my neck. And I thought I'd have my chips. I thought this was it, you know, a martyr, not even on a foreign field. And I thought I was finished. And he said, uh, Roger, he said. I said, yes. And he said, you have had a Sudanese man in your room. I said, I have not. Sobby, I haven't. You have had a Sudanese man in your room. No, I have been listening. I said, really? He was talking in Arabic. He said, ah, what was he saying? I said, about Jesus on the cross. About Jesus dying for my sins. And he actually gave me the gospel in English through this experience, you know. Do you know, I mean, I don't know. He, went, he spent weeks searching the university trying to find the man who'd been in my room. <laughs> he was never converted at university, but I have a feeling that back home he's actually met the Lord. Fancy the Lord preaching to him in his own language. And all I knew, I was speaking with tongues. You see, we mustn't limit God in any way as far as all this is concerned. You see, remember this. When you ask for an egg, he's going to give you an egg. He won't give you a scorpion. When you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. Don't worry about it. You keep speaking with tongues. We'll know if the tongue's wrong. We'll know. People will pick it up. They'll discern it. Then you can receive prayer. All right, so there's the first one, tongues. And remember it happens in these two ways. Once a message in tongues is given a message in tongues, then immediately we should pray for the interpretation. Now, don't put your feet up and say, oh, I'll let the others do it. You move in at this point. Lord, give me the interpretation. The person who gave the tongue might receive the interpretation, as happened earlier on in this meeting, but you move out. Lord, give me the interpretation, please. The interpretation is an English version of what God has said. Again, you get the wise guy who comes along, you know. Serena, oh, I can't remember what I said now. But the message is given, coriander, coriander, for example. And then out comes the interpretation, and it's ever so long. And the wise guys there saying, well, I counted it up. There were four words in the message in tongues, and the interpretation was 85 words. <laughs> Ridiculous. That's why this gift is called the gift of interpretation and not the gift of translation. It's not the translation of the tongue. It's the interpretation of the tongue. And the example I would give is the one I've quoted, I think, in the Fellowship Life series. Can we go to Daniel? Daniel and chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 25, where we have a message in tongues, and it's four words long. In fact, it's three words long, actually. Look what it says. This is the writing that was written. Here's the writing on the wall incident. Many, many, tekel aparsin. And this is the interpretation of the thing. Look, Mene, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now do you see, if you count it up, four words given in tongues, 32 words in the interpretation. That's quite right. And I've noticed this, that an interpretation often is expressed in the personality of the person who gives it. For example, you may have just two words. Peace and security. Peace and security. Peace and security. Except it's in Mongolian, right? Peace and security. Now, a lady stands up, and she'll give a feminine interpretation of peace and security. As a hen has gathered her chicks, so I will gather you, my people, and you will know the security of a mother hen, or whatever it is. You see, I've made that up. 
Uh, but that's it. Now, that's a typically sort of female sort of prophecy. It is. Now, a man may come along, and here's his interpretation. I will be a wall of fire around you, saith the Lord, and I will be a strong rampart against the enemy. Is that peace and security? Yes, it is. It's exactly the same message. Do you see? But the personality of the person actually comes through. This is what we mean by interpretation of a particular tongue. And so there it is. All right? But the minute a tongue's given, let's move out in faith and give it. Don't just sit there and wait till the whole message has come and then give it out. It would be as stale as old dry bread. Don't do it. Start giving it out as it comes. And uh, we'll forgive you if you make a mistake in the middle. It doesn't matter at all. All right, then let's go on to prophecy, right, the third of these verbal gifts. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 9, and I'm doing a whole tape especially on prophecy because it is vital. Because there is inaccuracy in prophecy. It's built into it. Here, you're giving a message, and instead of giving it in tongues, you're giving it in English, and the problem is that our mind can come in. Do you see? Now, some people like to limit prophecy. In some churches, you know, you have to go and whisper it in the ear of the elders before you can give it. And if the elder feels it's right, you give it. If he doesn't feel it's right, you don't give it. Now, that's being overprotective. Here, if anything, we make the opposite mistake. We try and allow all prophecy to come forth. It's hard. You've got to be in the middle of those two to get really good prophecy. And God must guide us. The minute you try and impose strict rules, you'll find prophecy will dry up except from one or two people who are the old faithfuls, you see. And very often they've learnt how to do it, and the anointing isn't upon them anymore. So it's a difficult path to tread, and that's why I'm doing a whole tape just on prophecy. Look at this, verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. And we've got to face up to this. When you start prophesying, 70% may be you. It might be all right, but it's you. 30% may be the Lord. Well, that's why every one of us has got to think about it and take the 30% that the Lord is saying, you see? And gradually as you move on then, the amount that the Lord gets greater and the amount that you gets less. And sometimes you have a real humdinger, don't you? And it's nearly 100% with the Lord, you know, from the Lord. And that's good. So, start moving out, but there will be some addition, unfortunately, to it. Very often, the anointing is given on the first part of a prophecy and the chap's continuing it. But everyone knows that, generally speaking. And you're safe as long as everyone judges it in their own hearts. And I'll be talking about judging prophecy uh, in a few weeks' time. Uh, There's another thing you've got to remember in Romans 12 and verse 6, and this is important. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. When you prophesy, prophesy according to faith unto faith. Now, don't prophesy above your faith. I've seen it done. I remember a meeting in Turner's Hall. I think Madge and Connie may have been there. And there was a professional prophesier there. He could go on for half an hour without the Holy Spirit having a look in. And uh, he used to go on and on and on and on and on, you know. Sometimes you're very tempted to say, well, our brother's just finishing his prophecy. We'll sing a hymn. You're very tempted to do that. And uh, suddenly, in the middle of a a prophecy, came out the words, bring out the worst and I will heal them. What can you do? You're being disobedient if you don't do it. But most people felt it was him. And there was a chap in a wheelchair. The minute it came, he thought, oh, not again. He was wheeled to the front. They prayed for him. 
They lifted him up. Do you remember this meeting? Were you at it, Connie? Oh, dear. They picked him up. He was a friend of mine as well. They picked him up from the front. It was terrible what was going on. Finally, a chap stood up and said, look, if the Lord hasn't healed him by now, it wasn't the word of the Lord. And what's wrong in making that statement? There's nothing wrong at all in making that statement. All was prophesied according to your faith. And if you haven't got faith in a certain thing, don't make up for your lack of faith with words. Like the person. I am coming tomorrow, saith the Lord. What a shame. And all the Lord was trying to say is, I'm coming soon. And they've moved in, you see. Well, it's got to be checked. And I'll be giving the rules on how to check it. um, And I hope they'll clarify things. Let's go through to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. I'll be dealing with this again in that particular study. And verse 3, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. That's good, isn't it? It's good to speak with tongues. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that you all spake with tongues. Nothing wrong in it. But rather that you prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. And notice here in verse 3, it doesn't say that prophecy is for guidance. Watch it. I don't like prophesying that says you are to marry Joe Bloggs. If people are not in love with one another, they should never consider marrying. Right? Don't accept it. You don't have to accept it. The law doesn't move in that type of way. Now, I would warn people against this. It's terribly wrong. The worst marriage problems I've ever had to deal with have been those where I've had a couple sit in front of me and the woman said, well, I never loved him. And the man says, well, I never loved her. Why did you get married? We had a word from the Lord. I mean, what can you do? And she, this particular woman I'm thinking of said, well, I felt if I didn't marry him, I was out with God. Now, it's all wrong. And by the way, when I do marriage counselling, I always ask, do you love one another? And if the answer is no, I say, I'm not going to marry you because you shouldn't get married. Definitely not. You see, it's, it's wrong to do this type of thing. Oh, a friend of mine, minister friend of mine, told me the most dreadful story. There were a, couple, a, a man and a woman sitting close to one another, and they were obviously very close in a particular meeting. A chap went up, never seen them before. He laid hands on them, said, you are to marry one another. And they were a brother and sister. I mean, isn't that terrible? By the way, I'm thrilled that they were a brother and sister. Because imagine the damage that could have been caused if they hadn't been a brother or sister. Oh, it's terribly wrong, and we've got to watch it most carefully. And you do not have to receive a word from the Lord, in inverted commas, just because a chap's come up and said, it's the word of the Lord for you. And I'll be dealing with that as well in this future talk. So these are the warnings that we have to bear in mind when we come to this. By the way, over in verse 12, let's just read this. Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Do we long to edify the church? Do you want to edify the fellowship you're in? If you do, you must seek God for these gifts. You should spend time before every meeting seeking God for the word for the meeting. You should do it. And we're not going to get anywhere unless we have people who start doing that type of thing. Many people say, well, I can't get a word in, you know, in certain meetings. In fact, the truth is that when there have been pauses, they're not there. 
You know, they switched off on that particular day. Don't use any excuse like that, but seek God, especially for the spiritual gifts. Okay, uh, wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I'll pray with the spirit, I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. And to begin the next study, I'm going to deal with the next difficult uh, chapter of this particular, uh, part of this particular chapter. Okay, but that's to begin next time. Verse uh, 26. How is it then, brethren, it says, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath an interpretation, hath a revelation, let all things be done unto edifying. All right, so how do you receive these then? Now, here you are, you want to receive a prophecy. How do you do it? The first time I prophesied, I didn't have a good, kind Bible teacher to tell me how to do it. I was prayed for by a man who was quite famous in those days, and the small groupers, there are about ten of us in the group, and uh, he said, uh, he talked on prophecy for a bit, I can't remember what he said, and he said, who wants to prophesy? And the type of chap I am, my hand went straight up. I want to prophesy. Right, he said. Laid hands on me. He said, right, come on, Rog, stand up. No. I remained seated. That's right. I sat down and he said, prophesy. <laughs> now, I didn't know how it was going to come. At first I thought, well, I'm going to hear the words in my head. And as I hear them, I'll repeat them. Thus, thus, saith, saith, the, the Lord. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, 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 and so it would go on. Nothing came. So then I thought, well, it's going to be like ticker tape. You know, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> I want you to, and I was going to see it in front of me. And nothing came, just nothing. And it was before the days of the video screen, you know, showing the thing. Otherwise, I'd have thought it was like that. I just didn't know what to do. So I stood up. That gave me more confidence. (laughs) Nothing. So then I said, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) And all I could think of was that God loved them. So I said, I love you. Amen. Everyone clapped and clapped. Wonderful. (laughs) And that was my first ever prophecy. But it was true. No, don't you despise that. Someone, <laughs> someone in this meeting might need that tonight, you see. All right, so how does prophecy come? I believe there are three ways that you can receive an interpretation or a prophecy. The first is you may have a recurring thought that comes to you. A recurring thought. It keeps coming. It might be a love, love, love. Obedience, 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 comfort, comfort, comfort. And it goes on and on. Now there's a message in tongues, tongues just given, or the meeting has gone to a quiet phase, and you're sitting there, and this word's burning in you. Now that's a prophecy for me. That might, might be all you have. What must you do? Stand up, thus saith the Lord. I wish to comfort you, my people, saith the Lord. Now you'll soon learn how to phrase it. Some people put it in the third person singular. The Lord, he wishes to comfort you. I feel you should be free to do it, as long as the message comes out. Right? Now, that's it. Now, some people say, no, I've never prophesied. And they've been sitting there, and every meeting they're sitting there, with these tremendous thoughts in their head. Now, some people then chicken out, you see, of this, and they stand up and say, I just got the word comfort, and I feel God wants to comfort us today. In fact, what they've done there is, they haven't had enough courage or faith to move in a prophecy, so they've 
done it like that. Well, all right, that's the beginning. But don't stop there. Desire next time to move in prophecy. Do you know, most of us receive these things. The trouble is we don't realize we're receiving them. Now, that's one way that it may come. Secondly, it might be a vision that you get. A vision. And you see a picture. Hands up here if you've never had a vision. Could I just ask you, just put your hands up here. If you've never, ever, ever had a vision. Oh, it's only a few, isn't it? Right, I'm going to give you a vision, right? Just close your eyes. People who say that they've never had a vision are making it too spiritual. Do you know the thing that holds up spiritual gifts is that people think they're too far out and that they can't reach them. The truth is they're so close to us, they're so simple that most of us haven't realized it. They're easier than falling off a bed. Have you ever tried to fall off a bed? It's jolly difficult. It's simple to receive the spiritual gifts of the Holy Ghost. Let me give you a vision. Close your eyes, everyone. I'm going to say something now, and I want you to think hard about it. Now, a bowl of strawberries. Nearly said Weetabix there. (laughs) Right, now those who had their... Put your hands up if you've never had a vision before. Put your hands up here, and you just put your hands up. Hands down now if you saw something when I said a bowl of strawberries. Well, well, so everyone's had a vision now. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) It's as easy as that. How many of you saw a bowl of strawberries? Would you put your hands up? Who didn't see a bowl of strawberries? What did you see? Just saw lights, but you had a vision. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. That's how simple it is. Now you're sitting in a meeting and suddenly you see a beautiful open field. God's talking. But the trouble is we don't believe it, you see. It's too simple. Oh, it can't be God. Yes, it's God. That's how he talks to us. Just like that. It's easy. You see, we've made it too complicated. God wants us to be supernaturally natural. He wants us to be naturally supernatural. So that as you live your life, God is communicating. It's not this big flash-bang wallop that some spiritual speakers, so-called, put it over to be. It's ordinary, nitty-gritty, down-to-earth living in the Holy Ghost. That's what it's like. It's wonderful to be able to move like this. And God can speak to you. We'll see this next time. Now, I'll be developing this in great detail next time when we move on to the next gifts. The third way that God may speak to you is just a recurring feeling. It's a feeling that you've got. Oh, sadness. You know, it could be God actually communicating sadness with you. Or joy. Right? The whole meeting's on death and you're joyful. And God is trying to say, come out of your death into my joy, saith the Lord. This is the way that God communicates as far as we are concerned. But we've then got to take these things, believe their God, and move out. Let him that speaks, speaks as though they were the very oracles of God. That's what we've got to do. Now, do you see how easy this is? There's nothing highfalutin about it at all. And next time, you'll be amazed how easy moving in the gift, uh, in the the, uh, word of knowledge is. It's terribly simple. As long as you're open to receive. And it's through the verbal gifts that you become open to receive these things. So now what we're going to do, we're going to have a practical. The doors are locked, praise the Lord. (laughs) And we're going to switch off the videotape in case you're nervous. And switch off the tape. Goodbye, see you next time.